skyrocketing cryptocurrency money laundering, a new initiative to mitigate third-party risk for small companies, and California's new GDPR-like data privacy law. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Cryptocurrencies, despite the best intentions for them to be legitimized and regulated, still can't shake off their shady past. In fact, according to new research from CypherTrace, cryptocurrency money laundering has grown three times since 2017 figures, and we're only halfway through 2018. I spoke with Dave Jevons, founder and CEO of CypherTrace, and chairman of the Anti-Phishing Working Group, about how cryptocurrency money laundering is being enabled. So Nick, crypto money laundering is enabled by a number of different things. The first is the general anonymity of cryptocurrencies and the diverse regulatory environments in which these exchanges work. So you might sign up for an exchange in one country, send money to another, and the know your customers, we call it KYC, is very different in these countries, as well as a complete lack of really strong anti-money laundering laws uh, and compliance as far as each country is, is affected. The next thing are active money laundering services. We call these mixers or tumblers or foggers. These are services that are available on the internet or on the dark web that allow people to cluster money together and launder it to defeat detection, to try to hide the source of assets. We publish a lot of information about that in this report. And then the third level we see are auxiliary services which are being abused for money laundering purposes. And those could be online gambling sites that operate in cryptocurrency land or cryptocurrency swap services that allow you to move money from one currency to another, let's say from Bitcoin to Ethereum, without any uh, tracking, KYC, or reporting. But with many cryptocurrencies designed to be the antithesis of fiat currencies, being borderless and anonymous, is regulating them a futile effort. Here's Dave Jevons' personal take. Nick, I'll give you my personal opinion, and this is not the opinion of CypherTrace. Um, I've been involved in cryptocurrency since long before Bitcoin. I've met the DigiCash founders, the e-gold guys, before they all went to jail for money laundering. Um, so I've, I've got a deep expertise in the background. My view is that what we want is to get cryptocurrencies and crypto assets legitimate, safe, investable, globally transactable to create that vision and to fulfill it of a, a, a real different type of economy and model. That said, there are tokens and currencies that are designed for uh, improved privacy and I have no problem with privacy, I'm all about it, it's great. But they need to have a form of anti-money laundering capabilities behind them and some form of KYC. And if they don't, the only answer for those, barring you know, huge investments in technology, which is possible, um, is to regulate them. This is my opinion. So if you look at your Monero, Zcash, 
stash, there are definitely technical exploits against them. It, you can push against them. There's been a lot of research against them. There are ways to profile them for sure. So don't think that those can't necessarily be de-anonymized. In my opinion, though, the right approach for these things is a regulatory approach in countries that will say that if you're going to trade in these privacy-oriented tokens, for example, the visibility key needs to be enabled in Monero, which would allow information to be passed among trusted parties that would be able to help eventually locate the source of the funds if it's from a terrorist group, major criminal group, or if it's stolen. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018 is set to dramatically change how businesses handle data. Companies that store large amounts of personal information will be required to disclose the types of data they collect, as well as allow consumers to opt out of having their data sold. Sound a lot like GDPR deja vu? Here's ISMG's Managing Editor, Security and Technology, Jeremy Kirk, to tell us more. California is known as a state that carves its own path on serious issues. That rings true again with the passage last week of new privacy legislation that makes the state's law the strictest of any in the U.S. State lawmakers quickly introduced legislation that gives new rights to consumers, aiming to bring more transparency to the murky online data trade. Under the law, consumers can ask the type of information a business collects, if that data is going to be sold, and to whom. Consumers can also request data be deleted. They also can sue companies for failing to protect data. California Assemblymember Ed Chow, who is one of the law's three co-authors, says it puts the state ahead of the curve in protecting consumer privacy rights. California consumers should be able to exercise control over their personal information and should have reasonable certainty that there are safeguards in place to protect against the misuse of their personal information. It is also possible for businesses both to respect consumers' privacy and provide a high level of transparency to their business practices. Aspects of the law mirror Europe's General Data Protection Regulation, which went into effect in May. The GDPR came about after scrutiny by European regulators of companies such as Google and Facebook in increasing worries over the use of personal data. Some companies, including Microsoft, say they'll apply GDPR principles worldwide, stretching the regulation's reach. The new law was spurred by actions of Californians for Consumer Privacy, a group largely funded by real estate developer Alistair McTaggart. McTaggart embraced privacy issues after a Google engineer warned consumers have little idea of the breadth of data collected by online companies. The data collected by those companies is immensely valuable for targeted advertising, third-party marketing, and even political messaging. Privacy activists warn the trade in data poses risks if it is lost, stolen, or sold. The issue took on new urgency after the Facebook scandal, in which profile data on millions of users was transferred to the now-defunct data profiling firm Cambridge Analytica. Although the technology industry has resisted regulation, Californians for Consumer Privacy put it in a squeeze. The group gained more than 629,000 signatures to put an initiative called the California Consumer Privacy Act on the ballot in November. California has a process by which voters can directly approve legislation, and McTaggart spent $3.5 million of his own money to get the initiative rolling. 
It's an almost insignificant sum compared to the billion dollar tech companies his group was taking on. In some respects, that act is stricter than the law that was passed. But in a compromise with the technology industry, the ballot initiative will now be withdrawn. Although the law is on the books, it's not yet a done deal. It doesn't go into effect until 2020, and until then, it can be amended. There are signs that the technology industry isn't going to rest. The Internet Association, which counts Amazon, Facebook, and Google as members, called the law a last-minute deal that needs to be corrected. That fight will take place over the next 18 months, the result of which may influence ideas at the national level to address privacy concerns. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. News broke this week that Microsoft, MasterCard, ExxonMobil, and AP Moller Maersk are joining forces with the non-profit Cyber Readiness Institute, or CRI, to help the companies they work with better secure their systems. CRI is collecting cybersecurity best practices for Fortune 500 companies and translating those policies into recommendations for enterprises without the budget for their own security stuff. I asked Kelly White, founder and CEO of Risk Recon, what the crux of this initiative is about. When you look at the regulations, like we have good cybersecurity standards. You could take ISO 27001 or 27002, or you could take the NIST cybersecurity framework. They're, these are good standards, but they're standards. They're not practices. And there's a, there's a big gap between translating a standard into practices that you implement and operate in your firm. And I think that this is the gap that this initiative intends to plug, making it practicable. Just There's a lot of firms out there that are small enough, they want to do the right thing. They're just saying, tell me what to do and I will do it. And that's what this uh, cyber risk initiative, I think, is seeking to plug. And it's the, it's the opportunity that they've identified. And by doing that, again, a, there is a big need. There's a lot of firms out there that are just saying, tell us what to do and we will do it. And by providing this set of practices, again, these companies uh, will improve their cybersecurity. Finally, it's peak ISMG summit season. Myself and the team are freshly back from the Chicago Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit and are heading out to our San Francisco Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit on the 10th and 11th of July. There's still room for registration. You can find out more at our website, www.ismg.io. Here's ISMG's SVP of Editorial, Tom Field, with a quick preview of what to expect. But what I'm excited about is some new topics and some new speakers. So, for instance, on day one of the event, we're bringing out Brett Johnson, the fraudster who's been on stage for us in Dallas and in Chicago, and he'll be telling the San Francisco audience about his cybercrime past, how he committed crimes, and things organizations should be looking out for today. Um, he's a great way to kick off a session, very engaging speaker, as you know, and I think the San Francisco crowd will welcome him. We also, on day one, have got a former colleague of yours, Al Pasquale, of Javelin Strategy and Research, talking about new findings that they have about identity impersonation and fraud. So excited for that. Day two, we've got some really engaging new sessions. And one of those is going to be on why privacy is good for security and the business, and this is in the wake of GDPR and California's own new privacy legislation, we'll be talking about the business impacts of data privacy concerns and what security leaders should know. We also have got 
a session on apps, wearables, and connected devices, the security and privacy challenges. Now, that's going to include Kel Corey Kelly Meehan, Privacy Counsel with Google. She's going to moderate this session, which will include speakers from Paul Sinelli, from HealthTap, and we will have the Global Privacy Officer and Senior Counsel of 23andMe. One final session I'll highlight for you is going to be about facial recognition and emerging technology. Again, the security and privacy concerns. As you know, as recently as a week ago, facial recognition capabilities were used to identify the suspect in the Capitol Gazette shooting. This has got law enforcement and public safety officials talking about facial recognition as, quote, a valuable tool for fighting crime. Well, we've got an attorney from the ACLU who's going to present a decidedly different point of view on that, and I hope and I expect it's going to incite some significant questions and debate with our attendees at the event. Well, that's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.